So today on Credo Catholic, we're continuing our conversation with Mike Iverson, the Director of Evangelization and Discipleship at my parish, Holy Apostles Catholic Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Uh, In last week's episode, we had some really good discussions about Mike's journey to the church and the state of catechesis at the parish level now and what can be done to improve it. Today, we're going to dive into some other topics that are certainly related to those things, but different, talking about political activity, rejecting some of the choices that our public servants give us, how a Catholic vision of reality coheres in the American political context. It's really interesting, and I hope you enjoy it. So that is this conversation, the second half of my conversation with Mike Iverson, coming up. Enjoy the show. So speaking of Spanish speakers, and this is uh, this is going to be maybe a controversial topic here. I'm not a Spanish speaker, first of all. But, uh, but we have a a nation in a very interesting political moment. And I know you and I have talked a little bit about kind of where we, uh, where we see things going from here, perhaps how, um, how disappointed we are at the general tenor of politics, uh, how disappointed we are at the conduct of the president of the United States on many occasions, et cetera. Uh, and I'm thinking about this because it relates to what I, what I just reflected on just briefly about how, um, people, uh, people who are native Spanish speakers, um, not always recent immigrants, but often yeah. recent immigrants mm-hmm. are just such a treasure for the church. Um, and I think this relates to what I was going to ask you about next, because I've been disappointed. I'd love your take on this. I've been disappointed with how many Catholics I know are what I call all aboard the Trump train. Yeah. Um, and there, there are, there are reasons I think, to be uh, to think that you know a Trump administration mm-hmm. will stand up more for religious freedom, mm-hmm. certainly will stand up more for the rights of the unborn mm-hmm. than a Democratic administration, et cetera. Yeah. But but while those things may be true, it's also true that a Trump administration um, has not been standing up for uh, the poor and downtrodden among us. Uh, I have a friend who worked in the administration for a while and has now. Um, become one of Trump's most vocal critics, actually. His name is Miles Taylor. Um, he's now like a CNN contributor and he's doing all the talk show circuits because he's really, really dedicated to not letting a second term happen. And he has, you know, he's shared publicly these stories about conversations in which um, Trump is referring to migrants at the border. And you know, yeah, it, it's it's bad. It's bad. And um, while I certainly understand and appreciate the fact that a Catholic cannot vote for a politician who is uh, supportive of abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I don't necessarily understand is how a Catholic can vote for someone who, um, I mean, I'll just call a spade a spade, who has, who, who is a total buffoon in Donald Trump mm. uh, and who has displayed a, a total lack of character in his personal life to date. Now I'm not, I'm not saying anything about this, uh, the, the, you know, the, this person's eternal destination. Right. Yeah, uh, that's above your pay grade. Way above my pay grade. Um, but what I can say is that I don't like the way he has behaved in the office and I don't like the way he treats his fellow Americans. And to me, to vote for that person is to accept those things um, in a way that only a positive vote of affirmation can. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that mm-hmm. you you share at least some of my views on this stuff and you are not uh, all aboard the Trump train. So I just wanted to pick your brain a little bit and see like what what is behind this? I see people that um, you know are pretty prominent Catholics on Twitter, for example, um, right. you know, hashtag MAGA. I'm just like, what are you doing? Yeah. It's, I, I don't have, uh, I don't, I don't have a good answer for, for why that is, but I, I guess the best answer that I can provide is it seems to be just a gross oversimplification of a hyper complex 
set of issues and problems. And if we, if we boil it all down to abortion, okay, then it's, then it's a cut and dried, uh, it's a cut and dried topic. It's a cut and dried issue. Um, but then, uh, like it's, it's affected us, uh, the, the take on immigrants, it's affected us personally because our very good friends and, and my kids' godmothers, their, their two sisters, uh, are both dreamers and oh, wow, that's they've, cool. they've been in and out of, of, of not knowing what, uh, you know, they're, they're these great, uh, beautiful, well-educated late twenties, young women who through no fault of their own, uh, immigrated to Western Washington yep. illegally and their whole, uh, their whole future, their whole existence is in jeopardy because we're not sticking to what we said we were going to do. For example, with the dream act, right? Yeah. It's sad. Um, and so if, if you just look at, if you look at the issue and you boil it down to just abortion, then it's pretty cut and dried, but it's not just abortion. It's this Catholic consistency that, that uh, drew me to the church. Um, it's this Catholic consistency that we always need to be looking at in what is charitable, what is right, what is just, what is beautiful. And I mean, right now you, you, you might, uh, you might agree and I agree that that some of the policy that have come out, that's come out of the Trump administration is great. Um, I think the Supreme Court, uh, currently at least the Supreme Court Justice uh, nominee, I, I like her. Um, there's some good things, right? But I don't understand how you can be pro policy and then, but but actually look, actually have eyes and ears. And watch what Donald Trump does and says, not the fake news, but actually what comes out of his mouth and say, oh, he's a good guy. And I want to yeah. I want to I want to be on his side unreservedly. Uh, it, it, it is nonsensical to do that because he's not a good guy. He might do some good things and whether they're intentional or inadvertent is up to you to decide. But He's not an ethical, not a charitable, not a truthful, not a, you know, just his morality is questionable at best. He's not this guy that I would want to date my daughter, for example. Right. Point, yeah. Like I would have some serious reservations with that. So anyway, I, th- I think that I think this being on the Trump train is is this gross misunderstanding of what it is to support policy versus supporting or giving a, an unreserved endorsement of character. I think if you're giving an unreserved endorsement of character to any politician, you really need to think that, think about that because they didn't get to be professional politicians by being people of generally, I'm generalizing, but uh, by being people of super high morality generally, because you can't really be a successful politician and not yeah, waffle on things, you know, and Sadly, not kind of play true. both sides of the aisle. So, while I can understand voting for Trump because of the policy and because you're Catholic and because of the policy, particularly with, uh, with abortion and pro-life and religious liberty, um, I can't even fathom how you could just give him your, your unreserved stamp of approval yeah. and say this, he's my guy. Like, no, he's, he might be the best that, uh, in your estimation, he might be the best we have and he might be the best option, but he's still not Again, that guy that I want to, uh, you know, come over for yeah, dinner totally. or or date my daughter, right? No, that's that's absolutely right. I, I think, you know, I know some people who are all aboard the Trump train, you know, and explicit about that. And I know some people who are going to reluctantly vote for him. Yeah. 
did the same thing in 2016. Yeah. Whatever. Right. Um, and now I've been up front. I mean, just uh, the last episode of Credo Catholic was with Bishop Hying of Madison, Wisconsin. And mm-hmm. he talked about his pastoral letter on the election. And uh, I told him that I've already decided I'm not going to vote this, this time around. And I've taken flack from that for both from, from all sides, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of, one of my, one of my favorite um, objections to that, uh, that I think is completely nonsensical is abstaining is the same thing as a vote for X. And you hear that from both sides, right? <laughs> the, huh. the Trump people say abstaining is the same thing as a vote for Biden. Right. And the Biden people say abstaining is the same thing as a vote for Trump. Uh, and that's just like mathematically not right. true. Yeah. So, um, so I reject that. Uh, but you know, n- another one that um, I think is worth thinking about is you don't need a perfect candidate to vote for that candidate. Right. And I think Correct. that's, I think that's the, the implicit, yeah. I mean, I think everyone understands that, right? No one's perfect mm-hmm. except for Jesus. And we're not voting for Jesus to be our president. Right. So we already, we already have a savior. Exactly. Exactly. So you don't need a perfect candidate. Right. And my response to that is true, but I need a good one. Right. Right. I'm not, I'm not going to cast a vote in the affirmative for a candidate who is not a good candidate. Right. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, the person who, who pushed back on me at that, uh, on that point is a Biden voter. And cause I, cause I was at this point saying like, um, I am not endorsing Biden. It was, I was sharing something, uh, about Trump that was bad and basically was saying like, this person is not a good person. Mm-hmm. And then I clarified and said, I'm also, by the way, not saying that I'm going to vote for Biden to me, neither candidate acceptable. And the, one of the many responses was you don't need a perfect candidate. Right. And so, you know, to me, Biden's candidacy is disqualifying because of his abortion position. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's really that simple. And, and the example that I used with Bishop Hying last week that I use with people when I'm trying to illustrate this is, you know, we, I, I think of abortion as the greatest human rights issue of our time, mm-hmm. full stop. Yeah. Mother S- Teresa would agree with you. Exactly. 60 million babies since Roe v. Wade. That is a, yeah. that is a, an unfathomably huge number. Uh, I mean, how big is young life? Roughly 2.5 million. Yeah. I mean, yeah, about two and a half. So, I mean, just compared to the number of babies killed by every way, this is like stunningly tragic and horrifying. Yeah, the defining is. human rights issue of our time. So let's let's go back now um, to the Civil War. What was the defining issue then? Slavery, right? Mm-hmm. Would we would we ever would we ever look at a candidate and say, I agree with all this person's policy positions except for the fact that they are a slave owner? So I'm going to vote for them. No, we would never do yeah, that. Like that would be they ridiculous. disagree. Yeah, exactly. Totally ridiculous. Uh, but now let's, t- let's take it one step further, make it maybe a little bit more analogous. And, you know, cause, cause Joe Biden says, I don't support abortion, but I support a woman's right to choose. Right. Yeah. So now imagine you have a candidate and you're like, I agree with this person on all policy positions, except for the fact that they support the right to own slaves. Like they personally are yeah. against slavery, but yeah. they support the right to own slaves. Right. But that's okay. I'll still vote for and, them. And you need to be free to uh, make your own decision with your right or a decision to own slaves or not. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. Who am I? Right. Who am I to tell you, you <laughs> who can't own t- some, another person. <laughs> Precisely. Precisely. Now. Um, so I think I use that. It is extreme admittedly, but I use that to just illustrate the fact that there are disqualifying issues. There have to be disqual- disqualifying issues. And for me, abortion is one of those. So if you are a politician who um, supports even the freedom of someone to Mm-hmm. pursue abortion that to me is disqualifying so now we get back to the the other question right i will not vote for trump because again i don't need a perfect candidate but i need a good candidate right trump we we, we don't need to to you know <laughs> we don't need to go on but there are many many examples uh that we could give each other about why trump is not a good candidate right my idea here's this right now the ballot box is set up so that you vote you, you basically check the box for every candidate that you want right mm-hmm. 
And so you have at the top of the ballot, you have president, right? Republican, Democrat, depending on where you are, you might have right. a libertarian on the ticket. You might have some other, you might some have other Ralph Nader. Sure, if, yeah. is, is, he, is he still running? I don't, even I don't know. know. <laughs> he's been running. He's been running as long as I can remember. <laughs> exactly. And so you get, you get one choice for each position, right? right? And so you can put your, you fill in your little, your little box uh, with, uh, with the candidate of your choice. What if Mike, what if instead of that system, you had a system in which there was a yes or a no box for every candidate. <laughs> so in my system here, I could walk into the ballot box. I am, I'm exercising my, my civic, uh, my civic freedom to vote yeah. and I'm exercising it responsibly. And I'm able to say, no, I prefer not to have either of these candidates be my president of the United States. Thank you very much. And so the, so the reason why this matters, right, is because these votes would get counted. Yeah. And so you'd be able to, there, there would be a winner of the election, right? Invariably, someone would have more yeses than noes. But the right. idea is all the noes would basically cancel out the yeses. Mm -hmm. And so, but mm -hmm. you'd, you'd, also see, you'd also be able to see turnout, right? Because people would be able to, to turn out. Right now, basically, voter apathy suppresses turnout, right? Because if you don't yeah. care, yeah. you're not going to show up to the polling Right, place. and if you don't have a good candidate, it's exactly. hard to care. Exactly. If, however, you have the ability to, to reject both of those options, then you show up to the polling place and you say, no, I, I refuse to make this election. I vote neither, right? Uh -huh. So then the reason this matters, right? My, my whole argument, I wrote a piece in 2016 when I also did not vote for Trump about why I think third-party voting is valuable. And my argument there no, is, is not that like, it's not the long shot argument. Like if we all do this, they could win. I mean, I guess that's technically true, but that's not my argument. And it's not a very good argument in my in my opinion. My argument is third party voting is good because what it does is it signals to policymakers that people are dissatisfied with yes. their current options, yeah, right? The status quo is not good enough. Exactly, right? right? So if you have a third party candidate, like uh, what, what's the libertarian's name, Joe Jorgensen, I think this year. Yeah. If she I is believe. surging, right, and has 10% of the popular vote, uh, that tells the two parties in power that they have not done a good enough job mm -hmm. uh, getting the vote of those people who are so dissatisfied they vote, they vote third party, right? So that's yeah. my argument for voting for third party. This also applies though to the no option because then people look at, okay, we had this much turnout, but we only got this many votes. And not only that, our candidate got this many no's, right? right? Imagine if like our candidate got twice as many no's as yeses, right? But only lost by this amount. That means a lot of our voters, people who would have otherwise voted for him or her, mm -hmm. uh, just chose not to and like explicitly said no to us. But instead we have this system where we can only do a vote in the affirmative. Right. And I think there, there's less, less of a feedback loop for people mm -hmm. like you and me to say, no, I reject the option. Yeah. I reject the binary entirely. Give me a new person. Yeah. It, it's. So are you I, on board? The yes, no checkbox. <laughs> uh, can there be a third option? What is that? What, I, I, don't, I don't know. I just made that up. I, I was, <laughs> yes, no, I, I don't know. Just, yeah. yeah, maybe. Yes, no, uncertain. Or we later. could have like a sliding scale. Like, you know, yeah, if, how, we, could, how if we could do like a one to 10. <laughs> yeah. I feel, I feel, oh, I'm a one over here and I'm a three here. I'm a lukewarm four. But maybe neither, five. but neither are even past the median. So uh, neither candidate is valid. Exactly. Um, no, I, I think whatever the methodology is, whatever the means that are used, we absolutely have to, I mean, we've seen, we've seen through a number of elections now that it's not working. We have, we have this ever widening gap between the two, the bipartisan system, right? It's where, bad. It's yeah, really bad. Where, I mean, I just read in, uh, read in the news today that there was a guy, I think in Pueblo, 
who was standing on a, like, I, I think it was, it might've even been in front of his house. I don't even think it was like a public, highly trafficked area, but he had an American flag and Trump sign and another guy attacked him with a shovel. Mm. Right. That's reasonable. Yeah. That's, that's asinine. Yeah. You, you, I disagree with you. Therefore I should be able to attack you. I mean, come I mean, on. even if like, let's just, let's just make it a really extreme example, right? This person is flying, uh, the stars and bars Confederate flag, or they're, um, they're standing there like in a, uh, in a white hood, uh, uh, you know, as a, as a clans member, like that doesn't actually give you license to go up and whack on this person with a shovel. Right. Or kill them. It, or kill them. Yeah. Well, certainly not that. Yeah. Right. Like that, that's, that's not actually how civility in a free society works. Right. And then that, there's that whole freedom of speech thing. You know, you're free to, free to say what you want as long as it doesn't interfere with what I believe. Right. And like, it, that isn't how it works. Right. Folks. Um, so I, I do think that we need some sort of uh, feedback system to say, Hey, these, these candidates, these, you know, the same old, same old, isn't what, isn't cutting it anymore. Um, it, uh, the, the system, the system as it is right now kind of reminds me, uh, of something my, uh, my buddy's grandpa told him once back in, it must've been the late nineties. Um, and his grandpa is this, um, this in his, he was in his seventies at the time, this, uh, South Dakota rancher. And they were talking about the election and, uh, he comes up to my, my buddy Luke and he's like, son, I'd vote for a turd if it said Republican on it over a Democrat. <laughs> oh my goodness. And he was completely serious. Like you'd think that would be a joke, but he was yeah. he was absolutely serious. He would vote for a literal piece of poop that was a Republican poop <laughs> over a qualified Democrat candidate. Um, Which and, is so funny, just given the fact that those parties have changed so much. Right, they've really kind of flipped. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and so I I hope that I don't know, but you know, the original question was what about the, the Catholics that are, that are all, yeah, I guess we have, we have kind of gotten off of that, but so maybe because there are so many, so many of our, uh, of our brothers and sisters in the faith that are just unabashedly and, and unreservedly for Trump, maybe it doesn't indicate that that system is antiquated, but I would contend that that system is antiquated and we need, we need some alternative because just this, this, um, completely thoughtless, party affiliation isn't isn't uh isn't meeting our needs right yeah that's exactly right i mean I, I think i completely agree with you that you know there's something something different needed uh there's a different system i think the polarization is just becoming too much the yeah. thing that the thing that really gets me frustrated is that the way to break this polarization is as i see it like logically it's, it's, it's one of two possibilities. One is like an, some sort of outside system shock. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be something like war. And historically, right. wars have acted in that yeah, way. They've reset. Yeah, they reset. They, reset they the galvanize popular sentiment right. uh, towards one common goal. I mean, in, in like political science, this is externalizing the threat, right? Yeah. So when the threat is externalized, right. people unite. And we can come together, right? Right, like so that's kind of the, that's the external shock. The other one's the internal shock though, and that's more what I'm getting at with this like yes. feedback loop. And that's like the, the the populace coming together and saying like, no, we reject this. And the reason why it, it hurts me so much to see Catholics buying into this polarization. And, and and to be clear, I mean, I think the most egregious examples that I can think of off the top of my head are um, Trump trained people. Mm -hmm. I can also think of Catholic friends of mine who are, like, how can anyone who is a human being ever possibly vote for Trump? And the only 
Yes. The only thing of conscience is, is a Biden vote. Yeah. Right. So it, it just pains me to see people in the church who are buying into this polarization rather than resisting it and also buying into the binaries that are presented yes. to us rather than resisting them. And so, you know, I, I would just love to see the Catholic Church in America, which I think is 70 million ish people. Now, that is that is like that's the roles, not like, right. You know, mass attending faithful devout Catholics, right. but the roles, 70 million ish Catholics in America what if even just like 10% of those people decided that we are going to embrace uh, a consistent life ethic yep. from uh, conceptions and natural death? We are going to value the migrant at the border just as much as the baby in the womb, just as much as the person at the end of their life who is especially at risk from COVID. All of those lives yep. are equally valuable and have inherent dignity, and we need to value and prioritize every single one of them. Uh, what if we had that kind of approach to politics? rather than just accepting the sort of right. the, the false binaries with which we are presented. Because I think what, what ends up happening is we become sort of just unwitting pawns, right? So um, we, we become, we, we just become sort of tools of the various parties and the political machinations that are already at work here, rather than saying, no, there is a better way. Uh, there is a better way to live out our gospel values. And we have to sometimes reject the ways of this world in order to do that. Yeah. I, I mean, so what would that be? Seven, seven million or so people? Sure. Saying, Which I guess is not that many, but seven million is a lot, right? I mean, if well, you, it's greater than the population, a lot of, of a lot of the Western states, true. you know? Yeah. Um, so, so it would, it would, I think have a significant impact if not, if not immediately, but uh, in, in time as it grew, I think it would be a, a great option for those of us who, as you said, are, are either pawns or being forced to be pawns in the system or right. conscientious objectors. Exactly. Um, we'd, we'd actually have a viable option rather than just settling for the lesser of two evils. Right. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I mean, personally, since basically since I started voting, um, so for 23 years now, um, I, I vote the issues as best I can. So rather than rather than endorsing a particular candidate, I look at where they stand on various issues. And a lot of times that takes them in both sides of the party line. Yeah. Um, so are you saying you've never voted for a turd that was labeled? Republican? I've never I've never voted for a turd <laughs> okay, in good. my knowledge, uh, Republican <laughs> or Democrat or Libertarian. In fact, um, I, I don't. Uh, I don't recall ever, ever, just ever doing good. that. Yeah. It's solid. Well, I mean, it, Sometimes it's solid. Um, sometimes it's loose, you know, uh, depends on what, oh uh, what party affiliation oh said turd has. But um, yeah, I, I, I just, we got to do something. And, and again, back to the original, original point, it's not good enough to just align yourself hook, line and sinker with a candidate who, you know, to not be an ethical, uh, good good guy in this case um, on either side yeah neither of them are good guys and creating this uh, little uh, false narrative that's based on your own cognitive dissonance about how great this person really is and you just don't know him well enough you know to really decide that doesn't that doesn't do anybody any good right I mean, that may make you feel a little bit better um, but it's not solving any of the issues and we've got to we've got to look at the issues and and it's going to be uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable if you're if you're 
truly wrestling because that's what it is. You have to wrestle with mm-hmm. these issues and wrestle with this process and wrestle with this system and then think, okay, what can I do about yeah, it? That's right. Um, and it's certainly not, you know, lighting your neighbor's house on fire, going and standing in the middle of I-25 and blocking traffic. Attacking someone with a shovel. Yeah, attacking someone yeah. with a shovel. You don't do any of those things because those are those are stupid yep. and they're destructive and they're in th- those things, you know, acting out against a, uh, a wanton lack of charity are, those are uncharitable. Yeah. themselves. Right. So no, you can't do that. You're, because then you're part of the problem. But so how do we do this? And I think that, I mean, right now we're at a, if nothing else, we need to be at a place where we can dialogue about this with our Catholic brothers and sisters, with our, with our Protestant brothers and sisters and not let our blind uh, party affiliation preconceptions govern those discussions or a lot of times even prevent us from entering into those discussions in the first place. Yeah. We need to seek some sort of, of middle ground because we're all on the same team here as Christians, right? We're all looking for ultimately the same end and how we're going to get there might be up for debate, but we need to at least be able to talk about it and not just be like, Hey, you're wearing a, you're wearing a Biden shirt. I'm going to punch you in the face, you know, no, no. Hey, with a shovel. Right. That's only if you're wearing a Trump shirt. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so I like your point here though, about, about dialoguing and just going back to this, this idea of mine, you know, 10% of, of America's Catholics, 7 million people. The idea is not even making a third party. And by the way, there is a third party out there called the American Solidarity Party. I'm not sure if mm-hmm. you're familiar with them, but they're basically, uh, it's basically like the Catholic Social Teaching Party. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm very intrigued by much of their work. They haven't gained much traction, so, um, but, but that's a, a potentially interesting third party option. They are fielding a presidential and vice presidential candidate this, this year, so maybe hmm. check, check in your state, dear listeners, if, they're, uh, if you're able to vote for them, uh, the American Solidarity Party. But when I, when I talk about the 7 million, I'm not even necessarily talking about like, forming a political party or even having like a, a coordinated political action of some kind. I'm talking about 7 million people who are willing to do exactly what you were saying, Mike, like have conversations, have yeah. dialogue, um, you know, be, be, I'm really big on down ballot voting, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I don't mean yeah. like going down along party lines. I mean like voting at the bottom of the ballot for your school board and your city mayor and your, you know, sheriff, local judge, whatever. Your representatives, those people yeah. in your neighborhood. Right, exactly. Uh, those, that's really important stuff. And we need 7 million people across the U S who are really committed to those things and to applying a consistent life ethic to those types of decisions. Absolutely. Um, and to, to living out and encouraging candidates to implement Catholic social teaching as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's not about Bishop Hying talked about this a little bit last week too. It's not about a theocracy. A Catholic social teaching is not about a theocracy. I think people misunderstand that as well. Catholic social, Catholic social teaching is about uh, you know, in the words of Pope Francis about, you know, a human ecology, right. it's about, it's about shaping society around the vision of the human person as possessing inherent dignity mm-hmm. and recognizing that we are designed to be living in relationships with each other. Yeah. Right? That's, that's fundamentally what Catholic social teaching is, is about. And so you don't even need to buy into the existence of a God to recognize the virtue of Catholic social teaching. Right. It'll make a lot more sense if you do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but this is not, you know, this is not, um, uh, this is not a like theocratic way of viewing society. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need people who are motivated by those ideas who maybe first understand those ideas, just to go back to the, the catechesis point. We need people who understand Catholic social teaching Absolutely. and, uh, and are willing to, um, to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it's not, uh, 
I, I think I think the biggest stumbling block that so many of us have is that it's not easy. There isn't a, a binary choice. There isn't uh, just a simple, unnuanced uh, option with this. The, these these topics and these these issues, such as Catholic social teaching, um, they're they're comprehensive. They they deal with life from conception to the end, uh, to natural end of life and everything in between. And when we, when we strive to understand the consistency and the, and the sensibility that, and you know, the the logic and, and just the fact that it's good, um, within Catholic social teaching, when we strive to understand that it, uh, it not only preserves the unborn and the immigrants and the, the, poor and needy, you know, the single mom who's working two jobs at Walmart and McDonald's and still can't feed her kids all the time. Um, Not only does it help those people, but it also, it triggers within us that, uh, that internal um, sensor that uh, our governor, our internal governor that keeps us from hitting our neighbor with a shovel when he's wearing a Trump shirt. It's a good governor. Yeah. I mean, come on. It's, it's something that, uh, I mean, when our moral compass, as I like to say, when our moral compass, as influenced by the Holy Spirit through the teachings of the church, is pointing at true north, it requires effort for us to go sideways. Yeah. We actually have to make a concerted effort to go sideways and start doing things that are destructive to other people. Um, but when you don't know, when your moral compass isn't pointed due north because you're not well-informed and the Holy Spirit isn't keeping uh, keeping your magnetic north uh, in, in the north— who knows what's going to happen? And, uh, and as to your point with that, it's not a theocracy. No, it's just sensible. It is, it's answering the questions that the human person has. It's answering the issues of our life and answering the issues of our time. Yeah. It's well said. We are almost out of time, but I like to ask my guests when I remember that is, uh, to share with my listeners, one of your favorite saints. So who's one of your favorite saints? And what should we know about him or her? Yeah, um, there's so many. They're saints, uh, but uh, I think Pope Gregory the Great. Ooh, nice. Um, yeah, he. Uh, I am. I'm a huge fan of uh, Pope Saint Gregory the Great uh, for many, many reasons. But uh, first of all, he was he was hyper competent in an era where there weren't necessarily a ton of uh, super competent popes, um, and. Uh, Gregory, he, he instituted reforms in the church and he, he was actually active in feeding the poor. He invited these poor men and women from Rome to sit in his courtyard and partake in a, in a communal meal with him every week, every Sunday. Um, Wait, so are you saying Pope Francis is not the first Pope to care about the poor? He's not. Oh, he's not the first Pope. Yeah, it's, it is, it is shocking to at least maybe some of our listeners. Um, but no, no, this is a longstanding Catholic tradition. It goes back hundreds and thousands of years, in fact. To the very beginning, one might say. To the very beginning. Feeding, um, uh, feeding 5,000 with loaves and fishes. I, would, I was just going to say, there was, <laughs> there was this guy that started this whole thing that actually fed the poor Amazing. Pretty, pretty regularly. Um, but I think, I think most, uh, most impactingly about... Uh, about uh, Pope Saint Gregory the Great is his is his missional attitude. Um, when he when he heard about these crazy blue faced uh, Picts up in the up in the British Isles, he said, "Oh, 
we need to tell them about God. We need to evangelize. Of them. course. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and there's, there's a number of different stories, but one is that he actually had a vision, um, because they were the angle people and, and G E L and, um, a N G L E, sorry, A N G L E people, the angles, <laughs> not the angels, not the <laughs> angels. Well, and that's, that's where I went wrong is he, r- r- the story goes that he had a vision that, uh, that God actually came to him and said, they're not angles, they're angels. Oh, wow. Then that's, there we go. There was my Freudian slip okay. there. Yeah. Um, you gave the game away. <laughs> I did. I know it ruined the punchline. Dang it. Um, I'm terrible with jokes too. You shouldn't see me do stand up. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> Abysmal if you, if you will. Um, so he sent, he sent missionaries to the British Isles and they got about halfway across Gaul and they freaked out and they came back to Rome and said, we can't, we can't make it there because they're even worse than the people in Gaul and yeah, these people yeah. in Gaul are these. I mean, the picks were pretty aggressive. They were folks. They, they, they weren't, they, they were fierce warriors. Yeah. They weren't super, uh, super mellow. I mean, they were called picks because they were tattooed. They had tattoos yeah. all over their, right. their bodies. I mean, I mean, are, literally these guys were hardcore. Yeah. yeah. yeah they were. They weren't messing around. Yeah. And they're, you know, worshiping trees. And I don't know if they were. As one does. Yeah. Right. When you don't <laughs> you know, know Jesus. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you're, yeah, and you live in a highly forested area. Um, <laughs> these things must be powerful. They're everywhere. Um, so, uh, so the missionaries come back to Rome and, and instead of saying, oh yeah, you know, that sounds like a good point. Maybe, maybe we should rethink this. He said, absolutely not. Get your butt back up there. And so they it. went to the British Isles and then uh, established established Christianity in the British Isles. And then a couple hundred years later, it was these m- missionaries then from the British Isles that were going back to mainland Europe and kind of reestablishing uh, Catholicism and Christianity in parts of mainland Europe that had already been evangelized that had kind of fallen away. And so it was his... Uh, foresight that was divinely inspired to send these missionaries to the British Isles that then really ultimately was responsible for the re-Christianization of a lot of the continent. And that, uh, that resonates with me so much because of this, this evangelization bent that I have. I love that he was practicing what he preached. He was feeding the poor. He was hanging out with, uh, with poor and disadvantaged people in Rome. And then uh, he, he bought into that so much that he sent, uh, sent some of his best and brightest, not knowing if they would come back, you know, the, these oh, are totally. The, yeah. Right. Uh, it was, it was perilous for sure. Well, and even just, I mean, it, you know, take, take, um, out of the equation, the, the, the warrior tribes across mainland Europe and in the Isles and just mm-hmm. traveling at that time right. oh, is yeah. dangerous, right? Yeah. I mean, you could highway yeah. robbers, but right. not to imagine just, uh, not, not to mention like what dysentery well, i was gonna say you go from <laughs> back in in those days you go from here to denver and you could die of cholera exactly you know? yeah all kinds of things um but that uh, that forethought that foresight that he had to to send missionaries to these people that he just barely even heard of yeah. uh, let alone he, you know he didn't know anybody uh in the british isles i, I love stories like that and, and there are so many of them of the saints um i think probably just about all the saints have stories like that 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 show their immense love for humanity and especially the the poorest among us yeah yeah uh, but also their intense fire for the gospel and right. wanting to spread that right and i think so often um when we read about these people in contemporary secular journals journals or um accounts we get one side of the picture right mm-hmm. they're either like a religious zealot who just wanted to like christianize right. all of the right uh all of the aboriginal people right and they were oppressive right and they they or came in with whips and stones, or they didn't really care about like the gospel per se. They really, it was a social gospel. They just wanted to feed the poor, et cetera. I mean, um, so many examples, uh, you know, Mother Teresa, a great example of that. Yeah. Right? She's, she's remembered for her social justice. 
but intense love for the Eucharist and obviously yeah. for Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, and, and she was so tender, but she didn't take any, any guff either. Yeah, you that's know? very true. She was like picked. Right. She, <laughs> she was like both in stature and color of, uh, of sorry. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Mike, thanks for sharing, sharing that with us. Um, we'll have to have to ask the uh, intercession of Pope St. Gregory, Absolutely. the great that we can be filled with a, a fire like that. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a great saint to wrap up this discussion on. I mean, there's so much work to do in the Catholic church in America. Um, you're a, you're a, a, a small but significant part of that as a parish head of evangelization and discipleship. So thanks for the work that you're doing at our parish. Mm-hmm. Um, and thanks for coming on the show to just talk about more of these issues and how regular Catholics can get involved. Maybe it's just a, just a parting, a parting question for you to listeners who are listening to this and thinking, I need to get more involved in faith formation. Um, what's your advice? Is it as simple as uh, talk to, talk to the DRE, the director of, formation and education at your parish? Yeah. And there, there are, you know, in each, each parish, there's going to be a different, uh, structure of, of, uh, of parish staff and, and clergy. But yeah, I, I would say, talk to your pastor, talk to your parochial vicar, if you have one and, uh, and then uh, get a, have a conversation, start a conversation, get a dialogue going with the director of religious education or, or whatever that person is called. And, uh, one one thing that I would say that I think is very important is if you if you don't get the answer you're looking for from one of those people, then ask someone else. Don't just be discouraged because uh, uh, you know not all parishes are perfect. No sure. parishes yeah. are perfect. In fact, so you might you might have somebody who isn't uh, super engaging and super outgoing, and and that's just how they are. But that doesn't mean that that's how religious education needs to be. Yeah. Um, and if, and if, uh, and if your parish is, if it's lackluster, let's say, then supplement it yourself. Um, take the, take that impetus to, uh, some of the, you know, here locally in the, in the front range of Colorado, we have so many great resources that are just right on here on our doorstep, like the Augustine Institute and, uh, the formed platform on, uh, that you can get on your computer or right. on your smart TV or whatever. There's so many great Catholic resources that you don't even have to wait to start learning with your parish program. Absolutely, Obviously, yeah. you want to do that because you want that community and that true Catholic, um, that Catholic approach to education. But you can start learning on your own, and and you don't have to like. There's no there's no pre knowledge that you need to have before you start learning. Just think of something that interests you, and then uh, and then start diving into that because it's so rich again, and it's so deep, and there's so much to learn in Catholicism that you can never exhaust it. So if you like, uh, if you like astrophysics, look at Catholic, uh, astrophysics or astrophysician, physics, physicists. There we go. Um, there, there's so many different topics that you can, that you can look into that are Catholic. Um, find something that interests you and, and go for it and discover who Christ is and who God is more fully on the way. And if I can recommend a resource, this is a a non-sponsored podcast, but, uh, the Augustine Institute's uh, Symbolon series, yeah, which I know yeah, you Mike use for RCIA at our mm-hmm. parish. Yeah. Obviously, supplement with with other things, but right. it's a great overview of the basics of the faith. And so, uh, if if you if you're thinking that you know, as maybe you're a parent listening to this and you want to help your kids understand more of the faith, that might be something that you can watch yeah. together as a family. You know, I think there are 45 minute episodes. Yeah, roughly. Uh, you can, you know, watch There's 20 of them, watch one a week or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and half a year in, you've got a, a really good education as a family on the Catholic faith. So that might be a good resource. Most parishes have a membership, uh, two formed, 
Um, and so you yeah. can go on there and just you plug in your parish. They they change the login, so it's easier now. You just plug in your parish, and then you're you're off and running, and can check out those. So, symbol on it's it's literally how it sounds. Symbol on one word. Um, I think it's symbol on the faith explained. It is yes. Um, so I'd, the I'd Catholic recommend. faith explained. Okay, the Catholic faith yep. explained symbol on. Uh, so I'd recommend that as a resource. Um, and uh, and yeah, there's I mean like like you were saying, Mike. There's there's no shortage of resources to no. educate yourself um, as a Catholic. Um, so go do that. And thanks for listening to Creedal Catholic. Uh, you can send me a note, Zach, Z-A-C, at creedalcatholic.com. I want to thank Mike for your time tonight, Mike. Uh, to listeners, if you have any questions for Mike and want me to get in touch with him, you can email me at that email address, Zach, at creedalcatholic.com, and I'll be happy to, to forward that on to, to Mike, and he can uh, respond to you that way. Yeah, and I'd love to uh, love to do that. So don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me here, Zach. For sure. No, we'll do it again soon. Uh, didn't get to my question about pipe smoking for you, so we'll save that for next time. Yeah, um, there's a there's a hook for the next time. Exactly. Yeah. So stick around. You know, maybe we'll have Mike back again soon. We can talk about uh, some pipe smoking. Maybe uh, talk about some J.R.R. Tolkien, a famous pipe smoker. Yeah, that'd be um, great. And all that. So C.S. Lewis. Exactly. Come yeah. On. The Inklings. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening to another episode of Creedal Catholic. Until next time, God bless you. Mm-hmm.